Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Amen. What a wonderful thing it is to have a father to be able to turn to. Not a God who expects anything from us. You know that if you walked out of here today and you did nothing for him, you never witnessed to a soul, you never prayed again, you never did anything to do it, I want to tell you this, God still loves you anyway. Isn't that amazing? God is not a performance-related God. God's not a God who's in, in, into time management. God is a Father who loves you in your worst and loves you at your best and just desires that you'll become everything that he wants you to be because he loves you so much. And that's how we started today. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that if we believe in him, and all his promises are yes and amen. Do you know where that text is? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That's where you'll find the text. And all the promises are yes and amen. I'm going to talk on that today. That's not bad, is it? I decided before I came I was going to talk on that text and you sang it. The very, very first text. For all the promises of God are yes and amen. I'm not going to read it because I haven't really got time, but I'd like you to read that chapter. In fact, I'd like you to read, I'd like you to read any of the epistles of Paul at one sitting on a regular basis. I'd like you to read the book of Ephesians and, the, and Galatians and Colossians and Philippians. I'd like you to read Corinthians or Romans. And not just pull a passage out, but actually read the whole thing. If, if I sent you a letter or a letter comes through the post tomorrow, you're going to open it up, you're going to find out who it's from, you're going to have a look at it, and you're going to read it through, and you'll get to the end, and you'll, find, you'll get right to your sincerely, whoever it was. Because that's what you do with letters. The trouble is, is that because it's put into the Bible and because it's put into chapters, we don't realize that these were letters that were sent from a man to a church. And, and when you read it in its entirety, you then begin to understand what he's trying to say to the church instead of just pulling a text out of here. For, you know, because that text that, that we, we're talking about today, for the promises of God are yes and amen. Okay. The promises of God are yes and amen. But what's the context of that? What, what's the background of that? Paul says, I've been through some tough times actually. We, we've been struggling. He, you see, the, the letters to the churches were missionary letters. Paul is a missionary. Paul is somebody who's on the, is on the go all the time. He's, you know, some, some people don't understand the call of God. Many of us don't understand the call of God. We don't understand how, how we're chosen. And, and we're expecting kind of a bolt of lightning. Well, Paul started out with that, didn't he? He was on his horse. He was trying to destroy, he was trying to destroy the church. And then God speaks to him. Paul was never really a bad man. Paul was a good man. He thought in getting rid of the church that he was getting rid of a cult that was going to spoil the church. He, that's what he thought. And, and when we look at Islam and when we look at Hinduism and we look at uh, Buddhism and Sikhism, when we look at the other isms of the world, if we're not careful, we see them as our enemies. 
But these people are very sincere people in what they do. It's just that they need a revelation of who Jesus is. We're not, talking, we're not talking about pagans here. We're actually talking about people who really do have a desire to serve God. You know, if I'm in the UK, and let me try and bring some understanding here. So, so I'm in the UK, and if I say Saudi Arabia, and then I say to you religion, your answer is going to be Islam. That's right, isn't it? Because we have this perception that Saudi Arabia is Islamic. Well, it, it is Islamic because it's not only religiously Islamic, it's politically Islamic as well. So, a bit like Israel, really. Israel is politically Jews as well as religiously Jews. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it, the religion and the, and the politics are intertwined into each other. It used to be like that in Christianity, by the way, in the UK. Because most of the institutions in the UK are like that. But, so when I, when I say Saudi Arabia, or if I say Libya and places like that, automatically we say Islamic. Now if I'm a Libyan, or if I'm a Saudi Arabian, and I, I'm there living there, and I say the UK, what do you think their response is? Christian. So then they look, yes, but then they look at our TV sets... And they see all the pornographic stuff and they see some of the stuff and the lewd stuff and the swearing. They say that's what Christians do. So when we look at Islam and we see some of their laws and we see that because they've um, done something wrong, they chop hands off or things like that, we say that's what Islam does. Because we have a, a global perspective of a subject. When actually within that are just ordinary folk like you and me. We're just ordinary folk. They're just ordinary folk. All it needs is that they need a revelation of Jesus. And thank God, God is giving them a revelation of himself. That's why there's a massive revival in Islam of people coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Since we went to Ethiopia in the year 2000, we've seen 100,000 Muslims come to Christ in the, in the last 13 years. That's not bad, is it? We, went, we were out in, uh, in uh, Ethiopia just last year. We went back and, and one of our colleagues who, who we support that was out there said to us, would you like to go to a baptismal service? And we said, wow, that would be nice, yes. So he took us out into the Rift Valley and took us out into the desert where there was like a sheep trough. And there was a line of people, as long as you could see, I think there was over 70 people ready to be baptized. Among them were three imams and two sheikhs amongst this, amongst this group of people. All of them were Muslims or ex-Muslims who were being baptized. And on the way back, but I said, I said to him, thanks so much for organizing that baptismal service for us. That was really great. We're so encouraged to see so many Muslims being baptized. You know what he said? He said, I organized nothing. I just knew that today and tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after and the day after, no matter what day we went, there would be a line like that of, of Muslims being baptized. That would be a constant thing. Because God is doing amazing things in ordinary people, through ordinary people. God is changing people's lives and, and giving them visions and dreams. And, and, and so, you know, let's, let's not put labels on people. Let's begin to realize that God loves the world. 
and that his promises are yes and amen. So Paul is, is, is working from a background of, of toughness. Some of, these, some of these things are hard. Working for Jesus is not easy, is it? It really isn't. You know, actually talking to people about Jesus is not easy. Do you know that last year alone, 169,000 Christians were martyred for Jesus? Last year alone, in one year. You know, we, some of us can't even be bothered to come to church. But there are some people giving their lives for what we believe in. You know, we really need to, uh, we really need to make a difference. This man stood up and he said, Have you ever looked into anybody's eyes and you've talked to them about Jesus and they look straight through you because they haven't got a clue about God, about spiritual things? You see, people who are people from Islam, people from Buddhism, people from uh, from Confucianism and, and, and Taoism and all the other isms of the world have at least a consciousness of God. He said, I'm in the UK. And generally, the UK don't have a consciousness of God at all. We're working here in this country among some of the hardest people to reach in the world. And somehow, you've got to begin to reach it. And this man began to cry. And he said, you need to pray for it. You need to pray for the UK because the gospel's gone out from that nation. The tragedy is it's not gone back. And somehow we've got to take up that responsibility. So we're not here just saying to you, get into all the world and preach the gospel. We're saying, get into the UK and preach the gospel. And begin to preach the gospel around us as well. Because that's what mission is all about. Now somebody asked me a question. Okay. Somebody asked me a question just a few weeks ago. And they said to me, I was, I was being interviewed. And they said, how did you ever get to become what you became? Now I took that the wrong way. Well, probably I took it the right way. Because I thought, surely when you look at the physique of this man, and surely when you, you understand the intelligence of the man that stands before you, why would you ever ask the question why I got to where I am today? I mean, I'm the wealthiest, cleverest, most handsome person on this planet. Why would it be that you would even ask me the question how I became who I am? <laughs> the reason they ask the question is because when they look at me and when they understand who I am, they think, how on earth did you ever do what you've done? Why would God choose you? Or why would you do what you do? It's a fair question, isn't it? Because when you understand that both Madeline and I come from very, very simple backgrounds, when you understand that we, neither of us have had theological training, and yet we've taught at some of the highest Bible colleges in the world, and we've had the opportunity to see thousands come to Christ, probably millions come to Christ, we, God enabled us to open nearly, nearly a thousand churches across Africa in our lifetime. You know, we've seen, we've seen some amazing things. But you, you've got to ask the question, well, what is it then? What, what is it that, about you that made you what you are? I think that's a fair question, even though I think it's an insulting question. <laughs> How did you become what you became? And I had to think about it. And I came up with one word. And the word was this, yes. When everybody else said no, Dave said yes, and Madeline said yes. When people said, who will clean the church? We said yes. When Who will decorate the church? We said yes. When people said, who will put some leaflets through the door? We said yes. Who will look after the kids? We said yes. And constantly we said yes, we said yes, we said yes, we said yes. If you read that passage of scripture, Paul got to do what he got to do because he said yes. See, when he, when he comes up to that text where he says the promises of God are yes and amen to them that believe, Paul says, when I came to you, I came to you with two things. 
One, either yes or no. He said, because I know how to say yes and no. Actually, many of us have to learn to be able to say no to the things that we're not supposed to do. And we need to be able to say yes to what we are supposed to do. The tragedy is, is that, and, and that was John's problem. When John was looking at the church at Laodicea, he saw that God had a problem with a church that didn't know how to say yes and no. He had a problem with a church that said maybe. And consequently, it was a lukewarm church. God said, I'd rather you say no than, than maybe. You know, well, maybe sometime, sometime in the future. Maybe, maybe I'll get involved sometime. Maybe I'll give sometime. Maybe, maybe I'll go sometime. And, and you know, the vast majority of Christians live and die without doing anything. We never read and we never pray. And I, I said at the beginning of this that God is not interested in all of that anyway. Because God loves you. Even if you go out and do some of the worst things that you could ever imagine to do, God will love you just the same anyway. As far as God is concerned, you're in heaven. What about that? You read the Bible, you'll find that every single name that was ever there is written in the book of life. The only people who get blotted out of the book of life are people who don't want to go, or people who say no. Because the Bible says that we can be blotted out of the book, but if you're going to be blotted out of the book, your name's already in it. So people out there are already in it. God wants every single person. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God. So God's got you in. Have you got that? We never hear that. We always think we've got to opt in somehow and we've got to opt into it. No, no, no. You've got to opt out to get away from God's love. Okay, God loves you and he's going to love you whether you like it or not. And if you don't go to heaven, the only reason you're not going to heaven is because you don't want to go. God has made a place for you. He's made a place for every single person who was born. There's a place in heaven for them. God signed the ticket. He said, oh, you're on your way. His blood has been shed. God is not willing that any of you should die in your sin. If you don't go to heaven, it's your fault. You haven't took it. And somehow we've got to get into a place. I didn't always believe that. I always thought we had to do a lot more to get into heaven. Actually, you've got to do nothing. The price has been paid. All you've got to do is allow God's love to come and shine in your heart and life. But I'll tell you something. Once you allow that to happen, you're changed. You're changed. Totally and utterly different. And there'll be a different passion in you because God's love shed abroad in your heart will totally and utterly radically change you. And it'll change you into a yes person because God is looking for people who say yes. The man from Del Monte is in because he say, he say yes, okay? <laughs> Somehow we've got to get to a place where we're, where we're happy to say yes. You look at the people who did anything in Scripture, you'll find that as you go right through from Genesis to Revelation, you, you don't find the cleverest people, the most influential people. You don't find the rich people who are the ones who God uses. God chooses the foolish people of this world. He chooses people like you guys. And people like Madeline and I, God chooses us the moment we say yes and begin to step out in faith, then God will give you an ability to be able to do things that you never even imagined you'd be able to do. We never thought we'd talk to emperors. We sat, we sat, we sat with emperors who promised to chop our head off. Let me give you a little story. I have to tell you about Burkina Faso. We were invite, invited to, to meet the emperor of Burkina Faso. And we were told, 
because he speaks French and we speak nothing of French or Spanish or anything else. He speaks French and so we have, we have an interpreter. And even if you hadn't got an interpreter, there's a man here with a sword. You speak to him and he speaks to him and he speaks to him and he speaks to you. That's very difficult having a three-way conversation, isn't it? You know, we like to look people in the eye and have a conversation. But you, you had to speak to this man and he spoke to him and then he spoke back to him and you, you answered questions. And we were doing this and everything was going fine until he asked the most stupid question that you've ever been asked. Especially if you're going to ask my wife this question. He said, he said to this man to ask my wife, what football team do you support? So Madeline ran, got out of a chair, lifted her hands in the air and she said, Manchester United! Well, listen, in Cambridge you can say anybody. Anyway, <laughs> we're, in a, we're in a safe haven here, don't worry about that. Immediately, immediately, the emperor got out of his chair and walked out of the room. The man with the sword took his sword out and, and said to us, follow me. We'd got, a, we'd got a whole crowd of onlookers looking around us and we had to follow this man out with the sword. We hadn't got a clue where we were going to go. Now, we'd heard in the past that he had beheaded people for speaking out of turn. Well, we didn't know he were an Arsenal supporter, did we? No, <laughs> It was a Leeds United supporter. We walked out of the room. We went into another room. And when we got in this other room, it was, a, it was a shrine to football. This room was full of football memorabilia. Footballs and shirts and things like that from all over the world. And we went into that room and this man then began to speak to us face to face. He said, I couldn't do that in front of them people. He said, he said we have to play the game. But this man was an animist. And he said, I want to thank you that you changed my village. You gave us water when we had none. You gave us education when we had none. I want to thank you so much. And uh, we ended up buying, in fact, we paid for the Burkina Faso national team to play in the Afri African Cup of Nations in the shirts that we provided. That's not bad, is it? But it all came out of the relationship that, that happened out of that moment in time. But who would have thought that people like us would have been able to speak in places like that? And it's all because God can take hold of people's lives and do something. And it came from a yes. Ron Hibbert said, will you work around the world with us? And we said, yes. Somebody asked us to open a church. I, I was saying to your pastor earlier on, he said, how did you get into, mission? How did you get into, into preaching? Do you know what happened? They gave us an empty building in Yorkshire and said, if you're really a pastor or you think you can do something, then fill it. And we said yes. And that church grew. And then we were invited to the northeast. And that church grew. And then we were invited to superintend the northeast region and become part of the executive assemblies of God. Then invited to become part of the missions team. And then invited to become world director. And it was all yes. Yes, yes. We don't have the ability. We feel the coat's too big. We feel the shoes are too big. But God, we're going to jump into it, whatever, and we're going to give ourselves to you. And then God began to open doors and make things possible. And when we look back on our life, we say it's absolutely amazing what God has done through ordinary people. We're just ordinary folks. I flunked stuff at school. I left school with one exam, and that was art. That's the only exam I passed at school. But by the time I was 21, I had a degree in interior design because I said yes. And guys, if you'll say yes, if you'll just say yes, say yes to the pastor. You know, 
we, we, you've, had, you've got this evangelism course on Tuesday night. But some of you have already said no. You've already said no. And the reason you said no, because you never came. You were not there. You've decided it's a no. Say yes. When it's, can I get involved in, in a project? Yes. Get involved. You might not make a thousand quid. You might only make 20. But say yes. Say yes. You know, the three all came out. You know, you've said yes. The, you never understand the potential of a pound coin. Madeline mentioned 40 pounds there on that person. That was this time. We've been back five times and it's been 40, 40 pounds. She's turned that, she's turned that pound into over 200 pounds. One pound. Yes. Now we haven't got a pound to give to everybody, but why don't you take a pound yourself and just say, you know what, I'm going to invest it. And somehow I'm going to give it and I'm going to do it. I haven't got a lot of time, but what time I've got, I'm going to give it. Let me ask you a question and I'll finish with this. Because what, what, you, what most of us do is say, you know, what can I get involved in? If you give me something to do, then I'll try and do it. But, but I don't think God wants us to do that. I think God wants us to be who we are. And not to be something different or, or, or to aim for some position or things like God's not interested in position. We laid our position down and we're doing more now without position than we ever did when we had it. Because when you have a position, you have an expectation of other people to fulfill the position that you're in. Rather than just be what God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do. You know, don't look for that. Look for God to take hold of it. Ask these questions of yourself. What am I good at? What are you good at? Who oh, dear me. Write it down. When you get home, write this down. What am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? They might not be mutually the same. Some people enjoy doing things that they're not good at. Some people are good at things they don't enjoy doing. I think if you're good at something, then you're responsible for it. Because you have an ability, and you've got to throw that ability into the pot, and you've got to put it on the table and say, Do you know what, I'm good at that, and so consequently, I think that's kingdom stuff, and I give that to the kingdom. What you enjoy doing, you don't need any motivation in. I don't need to motivate you to do what you enjoy. If you enjoy watching soap operas, I don't have to say to you, now you sit down and watch that soap opera tonight. Okay, so if you're into Coronation Street, God forgive you. Or into Emmerdale, you know. If you're into, if you're into, you don't need motivating with what you enjoy. Find what you enjoy and do it for Jesus. What time do you have available? One of the problems of church life is that we, we often set the agenda and try and put people into the agenda and, and because it's, it's doing what we don't enjoy and what we're not able to do, in a time that we don't enjoy doing it, we end, not, we end up not doing it. But if you can find your time that you've got and you can do what you enjoy doing and what you're able to do, you can do amazing things for Jesus. And actually, as a leader, then all he has to do is encourage you in your time frame with what you enjoy doing or what you're able to do so that then he can say, what can I do to help you to do it? Wouldn't it be great if all of us got a vision and just did what we can for Jesus when we can do it? That's what we've done. And by doing that, God has enabled us to do amazing things. Ordinary folk, if, if there was ever a testimony... To possibilities of all of you, it's Madeline and I. 
Because if he can use us, he can use anybody. If you, could, if you knew our backgrounds, if you knew what we were, if you knew how ordinary we are, then you'd be amazed at what God can do through ordinary people. He said to Gideon, who was the least of the least of the least, you're a mighty man of valor. Joshua said, yes. Caleb said, yes. Can, just, just for interest, can any of you, any one of you here, there were 12 spies that went into Canaan, wasn't there? 12 spies went to spy out Canaan. Can anybody name any one of the 10 who said no? No? You can't name. Anybody, can anybody name the two who said yes? Caleb and Joshua. Do you see what I'm saying? See, when people say yes, you get remembered. You never, no people never get remembered. So be a person who says yes. So when the pastor says we're going to have, a, uh, we're going to have a, a, an evangelistic course, you say, I'm going to be there. We're going to have a prayer meeting. I'm going to be there. We're going, we're going out on the streets. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be the first to say yes. I'm going to be a yes person. Now, when I was growing up in, in church life, people said to me as a pastor, one of the worst things you can do is gather yes men around you. Well, I want people to be honest and I want people to be open but, you know, I don't want no people around me. Okay. I don't want somebody who's always going to say no. I'd much prefer to have somebody who's going to say yes. Now, there may, there may be some conversations after we've said yes to how we're going to do it and what we're going to do. But if your spirit as a church is a natural yes, you're going to make these guys a lot happier. You really are because, you, you know, there's a, there's a yes behind them and there's a yes spirit. And then they say, let's stand and worship. You're on your feet first and you're worshiping Jesus. And you're the yes person because you've got a yes spirit. And you can guarantee this, that God is a yes God. Because all the promises of God are yes and amen to them that believe. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.